0: (laughs) (laughs) So I do want to say, I I don't think people who listen really know how well fed we are when we come into the studio here. Traditionally, Don cooks a wonderful meal. Or breakfast. We have a friend who likes to do this early in the morning, so we will do breakfast sometimes. But I think this is the first time when we've had a guest on the episode provide the meal. David! All right! Your Thanksgiving leftover Woo-hoo! shepherd's pie was the, the bomb. It is the bomb every year. Thank you so much. I truly appreciate it. All right, we are gathered here today to talk about Loving, a movie starring Joel Edgerton and Ruth Nega. The film is directed by Jeff Nichols. Joel Edgerton's past credits include Zero Dark Thirty. He also played Owen Lars, Luke Skywalker's uncle in Attack of the Clones. And he's playing the same role right now in the Ben Kenobi series on Disney+. Plus. But David, I think you were saying earlier that Joel Edgerton has another role.
1: Yes, in the Ron Howard movie about the the 13 ties that were trapped in the cave. He plays the Australian anesthesiologist that drugs each of the boys. And they were predicted that maybe one third would get out alive. And every one of them got out of the cave alive. Wow. So he plays the doctor that went into the cave and mm. did the anesthesiology.
0: Uh, Ruth Naga is one of my favorite actresses. And we'll talk about her performance in Loving in just a moment. But if you want to see another side of her, she was in the dark and twisted show called Preacher, which uh, oh, you know Preacher? Oh,
2: yes. <laughs> yeah, it
0: ran for four seasons. I think it was good for two. That's one of those series. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, was-
2: Red. Yeah, but I—it's just something. I was going to say something, but never mind. I can't. It came
3: in my head. And Seth leave. Rogen was producing it. Is that who you think thinking? That's what
4: of? it is. That's what yeah. I was producing. Thank
3: you. Oh, thank God Dawn is here. <laughs> I'm here for you, other wife. <laughs> thank you.
2: <laughs> She's my sister. Yeah. So thank mm. you. Wow. Thank you. You're
0: welcome. Now, Ruth Naga and Joel Edgerton were both nominated for a slew of awards for Loving. Yeah. Naga won awards for her role as Mildred Loving from the New York Film Critics' the African-American Film Critics Association, the Alliance of Women Film Journalists, Satellite Awards, the Black Reel Awards, Palm Springs International Film Festival, and the Santa Barbara International Film Festival. She was the Seoul Academy Award nomination for Loving, and she lost it to Emma Stone for La La Land. She was nominated for a Tony Award. In I'm sorry, tw-
1: we're, we're, we're speechless. <laughs> uh, uh, I, I was wondering what was going on. I was spe-
2: that's disappointing.
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's unsurprising. Disappointing.
3: But surprising. disappointing. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Both. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, maybe it makes up for it a little bit. She was nominated for a Tony Award in 2022 for playing Lady Macbeth. And it was Daniel Craig who was playing Macbeth. No, doesn't yep. make up no. for it. No, okay. No.
3: no. If you get the shaft, not getting the shaft later doesn't make up for it. Yeah. That's not how that works. Apples and oranges. Yep. Two different things. Okay. Yep.
0: Well, Joel Edgerton and Ruth Nega portray Richard and Mildred Loving... They are a married couple who live in Virginia in the 1950s. Their state will not allow them to live together as husband and wife due to laws against interracial marriage. Loving gets a 7 out of 10 from IMDb, an 88% from Rotten Tomatoes, and a 79% rating from Metacritic. And I'm really pleased to have several cohorts here with me today. We have Lolita. Hello, Lolita.
2: Hey, Rob. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? It's great to be here.
0: Good to have you here. We also have David, who was last with me for Amadeus. Indeed. So, Rob, good to be here. Good to be here. And we have Don. I think the last time Don and I were on the podcast was for the imitation game. Yes. And Lolita, you were for Coal Miner's Daughter, right. I think, for the last time. Yes. Wonderful. Good to have all of you here. We are recording this episode in a post row world in June of 2022. Samuel Alito. And five conservative justices decided to overturn Roe v. Wade and take away the constitutional rights of 52% of the U.S. population. Uh, how you guys doing?
2: No comment. I would comment, but...
3: Comment away,
2: sister. Comment away. Am I allowed to cuss on this? <laughs> you yes. can cuss as much as you want. Yes. As bullshit. Took away our rights. Mm-hmm.
1: No, I I would say it's elephant shit because it's bigger than bullshit. (laughs) That's
2: true. (laughs) I
3: absolutely agree with you. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. People don't even realize the true impact of Roe being overturned. They think it's about abortion and they do not understand that it is about your right to privacy. Privacy.
0: And the number
3: of other laws that can potentially now be overturned and the rulings that can be overturned because Roe was overturned. It has a domino effect. Yeah. So we have six people who decided the fate of 52% of this nation, taking away our right to be able to self-determination, to decide if and when to have families, which allows people to avoid poverty, pursue a more stable life if Mm -hmm. they choose to have children. Mm -hmm. It's all been taken away.
1: But it's also taken away uh, male rights as well, because we play a role in this. And um, I, I think it's a, a travesty, this decision, because uh, people talk about their most personal stuff as a couple. And this also uh, eliminates the male voice who would say, yes, I think this is the right decision, that this is not something we can do right now. So I, I think it's beyond just 52%. I think there's a lot of males that feel disenfranchised by this decision
0: as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Shortly after Roe was overturned, Justice Clarence Thomas cited three cases the Supreme Court had decided as being demonstrably erroneous decisions in his terms. The cases he mentioned were Griswold v. Connecticut. That was the 1965 ruling in which the Supreme Court said married couples have the right to obtain contraceptives. He also mentioned Lawrence v. Texas, which in 2003 established the right to engage in private sexual acts, and in 2015, the ruling in Obergefell v. Hodges, which said there is a right to same-sex marriage. The conservative wing of the Supreme Court is of the belief that if the right is not explicitly called out in the Constitution, then it is not a right now the thing that stood out to a lot of people when justice clarence thomas made these comments was that he didn't mention the topic of our discussion today which is loving v virginia and that's notable Uh, that decision was decided in 1967 and struck down all laws in the united states banning interracial marriage now justice thomas is a black man he's married to his wife Ginny, who is a white woman And the court decision that allows their marriage to be legal in this country is predicated along the same lines which Thomas finds erroneous. Can we say a little hypocrisy there? Possibly, but let's find out how much hypocrisy here. Because from a legal standpoint, Loving v. Virginia is viewed in a different column by Thomas because it was decided using the 14th Amendment which provides all people equal protection under the law. When the Supreme Court ruled in Richard and Mildred Loving's favor, they ruled that laws banning interracial marriage violate the equal protection and dual process clauses of the 14th Amendment Mm. to the U.S. Constitution. Justice Thomas should probably go back and read the decisions for the cases he feels were decided erroneously. Griswold v. Connecticut was decided using the Fourth and Fifth Amendments, which have to do with government intrusion into one's private life. Lawrence v. Texas has to do with sodomy laws in the U.S., and Obergefell v. Hodges, which had to do with gay marriage, were both struck down using, does anyone want to guess, the... 14th Amendment, Amendment. due process clause. So if those were erroneously decided, then Loving v. Virginia must also be erroneously decided, according to Justice Thomas. But he didn't mention that one. Now, since we are talking about the constitutional rights of citizens in our country now and how they were lost and how they may be lost in the future... I thought it was a good idea to take a look at Loving. Uh, This is a film I've wanted to talk about since I started this podcast. And I'm glad to have all of you here to talk about it because we have some personal history in the room as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, Lolita, you were married to a person of another race. Yes, I was. Oh, and your parents as well. My parents. You want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah.
2: I was married to uh, a Polish man. He was a white Caucasian man. And I'm of Asian-American descent. But I just happened to live during the time where it wasn't looked down upon. But my parents, my mom was Japanese and my dad was Filipino. They had to, back in 1952 or Mm -hmm. 53, they had to get permission from three different governments. They didn't have a problem getting it from Japan. They didn't have any problems getting it from the Philippines, which I thought was kind of... Odd, because they were at war with one another. Remember when the Mm -hmm. Japanese took over, Mm -hmm. you know, the villages in the Philippines? I thought that was it. But when I was talking to my mom, she said, no, it was the United States. They would not approve of their marriage. And till this day, my mom gave birth to my brother. The Americans would look at her child as being a bastard because they did not look at, Mm -hmm. they did not approve their marriage, which Mm -hmm. blows my mind. It still blows my mind. Um, when she was telling me this, I was like, what? She said it as a joke. And I had to get away with, my mom said something like, she was so mad at my dad one day. And she said, you know, I had a chance to get away with <laughs> with your father. And <laughs> I stuck with him. You know, she goes, had three opportunities. Japan approved it for <laughs> the United States. My dad had to work really hard. He was in the Navy, of course. And, um, I really don't know all the paperwork he had to go through to get approved, But till this day, it just really boggles my mind that that, it boggles my mind at the same time, it doesn't surprise me if that makes Mm -hmm. sense. Mm -hmm. Because especially after watching The Loving Story, and I went, it's, we're supposed to be, you know, one of these countries that is supposed, you know, it's supposed to be forward and tolerant. Well, we're not. We're not. No, and I still don't think we are. Um, But it was really hard for them back then. You know, and and my mom just happened to mention it because I was getting married to my husband at the time who was Caucasian. And she says, you know, you you guys have it really easy. And I just didn't know what she was talking about. And that's what she told me. And I was like really shocked that she Mm -hmm. had to get permission from three different government Mm -hmm. entities from different countries. That's crazy. Yeah, it's really crazy. But she kept it to herself.
0: Now, when you married your husband, were you aware of Loving v. Virginia? I had no idea. So you, you had no idea why you were able to marry someone who wasn't married? No. no, Wow.
2: Yeah. You know, I I come from the Bay Area, so it's a, it's a melting pot up yeah. there. So, And it still is. It's a lot more than it was in San Diego in the 60s. Um, but... It, You know, as you grow older and you start meeting different people, it wasn't really frowned upon. Well, I didn't think it was frowned upon. You know, but my mom was really shocked. She wasn't really shocked. She was just like, oh, you have it really, really good. It's so easy for you to get married now. Mm -hmm. You know, then my dad, my dad would talk about it. But I think it was my mom that was more. I think she was bothered by it because she was pregnant Mm -hmm. and she was married Recognized by the Philippine government and also with the Japanese government, but then the United States it took a long time And I think Mm -hmm. it bothered her
0: Wow, yeah Wow, and David you're married to is the proper term a Thai person or Thai national? I think
1: either But so picking up on Lolita the paradox here is it's not only race, but it's also gender so Mm. as a white male If I married an Asian woman before 1954 with some flexes of the immigration law, I might be able to bring her in. But if I was a white woman who married an Asian man because of the exclusion acts that were in place up until actually 1965... I could be, believe it or not, denaturalized. I could lose wow. my citizenship. Wow. So when you think of <laughs> uh, of, um, of uh, loving versus Virginia, mm-hmm. you could be a white woman who marries somebody who is not, because of our laws, ever able to be naturalized. And that could lead to a process of stripping you of your U.S. citizenship. So like uh, Lolita now, I mean, when I married Piticon. My wife, it was it was uh, not a big deal because at this point it had become accepted, but if you go back in time and mm-hmm. change our gender roles, it would have been um, uh, prohibitive. And we also have to remember that with the exclusion laws for for Asians, they were put in place starting in eighteen eighty two and really didn't get fully struck down until nineteen sixty five. So while we look at um, Loving versus uh, Virginia. On the West Coast in particular, it has a resonance here because the same prohibitions, I don't know what the, the state laws were, but the same prohibitions might have been in place for for uh, interracial marriage.
0: Yeah. And the acts were usually very bluntly named because I think the act you're referring to is the Chinese Exclusion Act, which well, specifically excluded. That,
1: that was the first, but you yes. had other acts that were put in place that, that prohibited or made almost impossible Asian immigration to the United States. Yeah.
3: Wow. Wow. So do you know what happens to American citizens who are denaturalized? Does that simply mean that they take away the rights you have as a citizen to vote and things like that? Because they can't just send you to another country. A country would have to accept you.
1: Well, you'd be basically a, a stateless person. Now, you have to understand the, the racism that was put in place, Was I think it would be very hard-pressed to find many white women back in the day mm. that would risk all that to mm-hmm. even with love to to marry
3: because mm-hmm. you couldn't get a passport then either because no, you,
1: you'd be a stateless person
3: wow wow
1: when you're denaturalized it means you're no
0: longer a US yeah. citizen
4: yeah yeah it's nuts
0: Well, so the movie Loving, which came out in 2014, I want to make clear it should not be confused with the movie that appeared on Showtime in 1996. That movie starred Layla Roshan, Timothy Hutton, and Ruby Dee. And Mildred Loving said, quote, there wasn't much of it that was true except for I had three kids. (laughs) However... The movie did provide her with enough money to put siding on her house and shutters. So she did benefit from some way in that, which is nice. But what we're going to talk about today is the 2014 film Loving uh, and find out what we liked and didn't like about the film. So I'll open it up to the group. What did you like about the film Loving?
3: It wasn't overly dramatic. It didn't fall into melodrama. It just felt like... People were telling their story. And at times it was painful, and at times it was joyful, and at times it was really watching a woman fighting a system that she refused to comply with without a fight.
0: I agree. They don't do a lot of what biopics typically do. It's a very quiet film in that regard. And to your point, Don, there's one scene in particular I think of which is Richard comes home and finds Mildred in the living room with a camera person and an interviewer. Mm -hmm. And he makes a motion that he wants to talk to her outside. Mm -hmm. And he says, I don't want them here. And she says, they're here to help. Mm -hmm. And she turns around and gives him a look and goes back inside. And what follows is he then walks into the living room, sits in the rocking chair, And the person with the camera turns the camera on him. And you realize that he realizes this is what they have to do in order to get what they want. And in any other biopic, that would be a whole argument that needs to be verbalized. Mildred would have to tell him that. Mm -hmm. And they don't do that in this film in a number of areas. They just let the character's actions inform the viewer of where the character is and how they're relating to what's taking place. And I love the quietness of this film and that it it tends to just do nothing that a biopic typically would.
2: Mm-hmm. I think it's factual.
0: Yeah.
2: I mean, that's what, that's what I enjoyed. And I, I think the fact that, like you said, they didn't have to say much. But by not saying much, it showed much. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah,
1: yeah, it does. And I, I, think what it captures is a real couple. Yeah. Where yeah. everybody has the nod and the wink, and like, are you kidding me?
0: <laughs> and and it's it's
1: it's just known, and so you don't have to overact it. And the other thing I liked is, I thought the 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 two the 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 two leads just they. They looked ordinary. I mean, they mm-hmm. they didn't try to dress the the couple up as what am I trying to look it's like
3: super supermodelly, like an
1: Angelina yes. Jolie yeah. and that sort of that sort of you know or you know I was thinking Halle Berry or something you know just I thought they were they were they and they both when you look at the pictures the real pictures they they really got the look down oh, yeah but they were attractive but they weren't you know they weren't over the top. And I just thought they, the the way they interplayed off each other was uh was beautifully done throughout the whole movie. Yeah. And how fundamentally ordinary they were, but also how fundamentally profound what they were looking for truly was.
3: Hmm. Yeah. Nicely
4: said.
2: Well, I do want to add this, it was the simplicity.
0: Yeah. Yes. Right? Oh.
2: It wasn't melodramatic, although they were, without saying much. But it was just the the simplicity of the whole Movie just the way they lived, their characters. It wasn't Hollywood. It wasn't mm, a wow. blockbuster where they had to dress yeah. up. It was just so simple, and, and you can e- relate.
1: Yeah, and even even the arrest scene, mm. which you would almost expect to see, you know, fireworks and all the, and then just sort of knowing that they're up against the system, mm-hmm. and, and there's no way they're going to win. So there's no point in being. Melodramatic. I mean, she is sitting in a in a jail cell mm-hmm. for three or four days, mm-hmm. uh, and they just portray her pain. But again, it's not screaming, yeah. and and the same for him. He's not yelling like "Stella, Stella." I mean, children. I mean, <laughs> <"Mildred!"> <laughs> I mean he's, they don't accept it, but at the same time, it's very clear they don't accept it. But it's not melodramatic how they they react to the injustice that was. Uh,
0: given to them. Mm -hmm.
3: They seem to know where to pour their energy and screaming in the jail cell was not it. Exactly. Yeah, definitely.
0: And for a, a film that's about fighting the system, there's also no big third act rally that you typically find in a fight against the system film. Right. You know, it's very quiet, even in the regard of the climax Well, the Court decision. I just decided to write a
1: letter to, to Robert Kennedy. I mean, that's what got the whole the, mm-hmm. sort of the, the legal case going. And, you know, God bless uh, Bobby Kennedy for, you know, or, or his staff sending it to the ACLU. But that's sort of the, the big fireworks was that she just decided to send a letter. Mm-hmm. And who would have thought that the letter would have been responded to?
0: Yeah, and Loving is really interesting to discuss because of the source material for the film. Uh, Many times when we talk about a film, the source material is a book or a magazine article. And what we found in the past is that the truthfulness of the film is only as good as the source material. So if you refer back to our episode on Never Cry Wolf, that source material was not factual in any way. And therefore the movie wasn't. But Loving is the first biopic we have discussed where the biopic is based off of a documentary. And that documentary Mm -hmm. is called The Loving Story. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was fascinating to go back because The Lovings allowed themselves to be filmed during the course of their trial. And you have the real footage of Richard and Mildred. And in the real footage... Richard looks just as uncomfortable as Joel Edgerton looks in the film. I mean, he looks like he wants to gnaw his leg (laughs) off every time he's in a press conference. But he realizes this is what he has to do. Uh, Another thing I want to point out about this movie that I found fascinating was the way gender roles were presented. Because I noticed that it is Mildred who comforts Richard throughout the course of the film, all throughout. Even the poster has her holding him. Mm -hmm. So Mildred is the driver in this film. She's the one who's pushing the case forward. She's the one who's making things happen. And I I found it fascinating that not only is this film uh, about race, but it's also about gender to a large degree, because when we see that part in the film where Michael Shannon, he's portraying the photographer from Life magazine, Grey Mm Valet, and he's taking those pictures where Richard lies on the couch Mm -hmm. and puts his head in Mildred's lap. Those are real pictures that Grey Valet took. That is all real. So the fact that Richard, as uncomfortable as he was being in the spotlight, was comfortable enough with Mildred, to let himself be seen in, what would not typically be a male dominant role laying his head in her lap to me is just fascinating regarding him.
2: I agree. She seemed like a very strong person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if it weren't for her, I don't think they would. it would have gone as far as it had.
4: Yeah.
2: Um, she was definitely the driver. But again... A very humble driver, but she knew what she had to do,
4: mm-hmm.
2: and they mentioned that, you know, that I guess I mean overall, I think everybody thought because they were socioeconomically they weren't, you know, they weren't rich. They were simple people, and because they were simple people, they thought that oh, they're dumb. Mm-hmm. They're not gonna. They're not gonna go anywhere. But she wasn't. No. You know, apparently she was a a prolific writer. They even said Mm -hmm. that she can articulate her words probably better than I can right now. (laughs) (laughs) And um, I think they underestimated her, but I think you're right. I think she was a strong person that was the glue. Mm -hmm. I mean, of course, he was a willing participant because he did love her. And you you know some of the things that he said, that he wasn't going to divorce her Mm -hmm. and and all that stuff. But I really think that... um, wasn't it her cousin who recommended that, that she um, write to Robert Kennedy? Yes. And she certainly did. I don't know if I would have written to Robert Kennedy. But she had the determination the, the knowing that the law, mm-hmm. or the Virginia law, was, was just wrong. Uh,
0: there's a scene that I really love. And to me, it's really funny in a way when they're sitting in the lawyer's office. And the lawyer says to them, we've arranged for a photographer to come out to your house, if it's okay with you. And the camera cuts to Richard, who just kind of grunts and shrugs his Mm -hmm. shoulder. And Mildred looks at Richard, and then she looks at the lawyer and says, that would be fine. Mm -hmm. I I think that says everything about where they were in this and how Mm -hmm. much Mildred was driving it. Right.
2: But don't you think that he knew it, that even though he didn't like it, It was something that had to be done and i mean what do you think
3: don i think so um and i think she she was the one who was able to get him across the finish line on each of those yeah because it's not always easy you know she she looked she weighed it out and i mean we'll get into more where where she you know acquiesced to him uh later as we chat about it but Yeah, she obviously was making a lot of decisions while recognizing how difficult it was on him and how right. much he would rather not be in that position in the first place.
1: Well, I also think that he was a, of the two, more private. Yeah. And oh, so yeah. I think that there's also an interpersonal dynamic that goes there, but he also probably uh, acknowledged that she was better able to challenge it. I, I think he just wanted to be left alone. And she, uh, I think as a black woman, realized maybe more so than him as a white male that that was never going to happen. So I think that her willing to push it had a lot to do with her position uh, and mm-hmm. that he he went along and acknowledged it. But I think, uh, again, in that era as a white male. He I think it was all new to him.
4: Yeah,
2: I could see that. But don't you think he was ahead of his time? I mean, with all the back in the fifties, the machismo. I'm the head of the household. I'm the breadwinner. You're the wife that stays home. I mean, for him, to. I guess quickly come to terms about what she was doing, and maybe it's because, deep inside, he knew what she was doing. Mm -hmm. But I, I really thought he was gonna. um, This really was unexpected for me that he would actually. I wouldn't say give in, but more or less understand why it had to be done. If mm-hmm. that makes sense, mm-hmm. I really expected him to really fight her a lot, a lot more than he never did. Yeah, and and
1: I agree, he he didn't fight her, but I think we also have to acknowledge that he was working. I mean, most of the scenes that you see him is he's working. So it's he's he is uh, away from home, that's true, and he's he's supporting the family, so he does not have. I mean she's raising three kids, so I'm not meaning to to you know belittle what she's doing, but what little money that they're that they that they have he's bringing in so I think he's focused on on earning and and what you get in the whole picture is he's a builder i mean his he's mm-hmm. very concrete i mean when mm-hmm. they when they when they talk about the house, he's drawing the house, so I think he is a much more concrete thinker. And I think she demonstrated throughout the movie a bit more ability to take on abstraction Mm. and think more conceptually.
3: Right. Well, and I think it shows the strength of their marriage too. And I I don't want to digress too much, but, you know, when you have someone who is an activist or or someone who is involved in their community, whatever it happens to be, then there's someone else who is taking care of those other things and they have, they had this balance. So, you know... They could have the house because he was making sure money was coming in. Mm -hmm. And they were eventually able to have their marriage because she continued on her path of activism. Right. You know, I talk about this when I was uh, volunteering for the Obama campaign and I was there 40 hours a week after working 40 hours a week. And I could do that because Rob was home and he took all the chores, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. all the errands. Good for you, Rob. Thank you. First during the primary, then we had a break, and then during the general election. So that's you know several months where, and I couldn't do that otherwise. Um, and that's a very small, small act in comparison or in contrast to what they did. But you see the importance. Of having a good relationship, and mm-hmm. that's how you make those changes happen.
1: So, Don, are you in, in, a, in essence saying it takes a couple to make a village? <laughs> 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 make <sleep late.
0: laughs> but you know that one scene
2: where, like you said, the photographers or the uh-huh. reporters, and they were out in the the. Um, when he goes, can I speak with you for a minute? He pulled her outside. I really thought that they were going to argue. And they didn't.
0: I, you know, was like, That's yeah. oh. interesting. I don't want to get too much into the facts, yeah. but I don't have a space for this later on, so it's okay to mention. But uh, one of the lawyers, Hirschkoff, mentions they were so completely on the same page. He said, mm-hmm. they never disagreed in front of us. And he said, I don't think they had a disagreement away from us. Mm-hmm. They were just so completely on the same page. Uh, he was amazed by it. Uh, He also mentions that when you look at Richard, and I think it's interesting that if we're looking at race, the stereotypes you can place on Richard, Mm -hmm. and and Hirschkopf says he looked like a redneck. Mm -hmm. He did not look like the type of person.
3: That was what their attorney said.
0: That's what their attorney said. Who would be supportive of what he was in the middle of. I mean, look at it. He, He looked like a redneck. He had a redneck. He had a redneck. He had a so, He worked outdoors. He raced cars, stereotypically.
3: So that goes back to what yeah. Lowe was saying mm-hmm. about they were underestimated. They, yes. looked at, they looked at this white guy, yeah. and they figured he had whatever his agenda was that aligned with what they believed a white dude from the South right. was all about. But,
1: but even, Don, even more than that, he raced cars, but the people who he raced with and that were on his side were all black guys yep. yeah 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 so he wasn't he wasn't racing you know uh
0: robert e leaf all right was there anything you did not like about the film
1: no no Nothing that really comes to mind. No,
0: no. I, mean, I thought it was solid throughout. Uh, I did too. It's it's one of my favorite films. I just love it. Lolita, when she got here tonight, said, "Thanks for making me cry."
3: Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. That that moment where Richard just says, "Tell them I love my wife." Yeah. I, just, <gasps> I
2: started crying.
3: <sighs> I did. That's where I started tearing up.
2: It's like, yeah, but I, it can't be. You can't. Get it's just it's that simple. S- it's that simple. Exactly. You can't get any right. more simple than that. Yeah.
1: But but also the simplicity is, again, this goes against the grain of your your average Hollywood picture. When she gets the news that they won the case, yes, it's yeah. so subtly played. I mean, yes, it's got to be the most subtly played dramatic moment mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. I've seen in a movie.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah,
3: and and that's. That's that moment where I talk about where they show that, you know, he has agreed to do this, you know, whatever, whatever the reasons were, they decided between the two of us, you know, and she is the driver, but she also seemed to recognize how private a person Mm -hmm. he was. And the only thing she could give him in this process was to agree to not go to the Supreme Court when the ruling Mm -hmm. came down, even though she wanted to go. And so that's what she gave him. And I was just really touched by that. Yeah. Yeah. So as, as was I. That really Because my God, if it was me, I I don't know if I could if I could do that. Exactly. I'd be like, peace out, baby. Yeah. <laughs>
0: well, I've worked this hard for it. I've, but... like, I've worked
3: this
2: hard. I'm hitting I the, want DC. To the end. You're right. <laughs> but but it, I think they it, had it, such a mutual respect yeah. for one yeah. another yeah. that she did it.
4: Yeah.
1: yeah. But it would have been when it was uh, re- the the court decided. It would have been at the oral arguments. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I mean, they're arguing your fate. Yeah. So why would you not want to be there? Yeah,
3: yeah. I think I think yeah. she really surrendered on that piece, and and I get it. That's yeah. again, that's that was the gift that she could give him in all right. of this.
0: And, and I think it's really the simplicity of all of it, which really cuts me to the core. Because mm-hmm. when Lolita said, "Thanks for making me cry," I said, "I was tearing up as I was writing this episode." I'm tearing up already as we're talking about, mm-hmm. it and we aren't even deep into it yet. But it's just the simplicity of it that. They had to fight so hard for something that Don and I take for granted. It's the same as LGBT. Mm -hmm. You know, there's no fucking reason why they should have to fight so hard just to have the basic rights. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, yeah. That, that really gets me. But we're going to take a look at all of it. So before I mention what we're going to talk about, I want to hear from you if we're going to give the movie a score simply as a movie, one out of five stars, what would you give it, Dawn? Oh, five.
2: Oh, five.
0: My usual 4.9. <laughs> Well, we'll round it up to five. Five for me as well. I, I, and, and honestly, for me.
2: Uh, naysayer. I,
0: and for me, I'm happy to have turned you guys on to this film. I, I'm glad you like it so much because it's really been a favorite of mine. Can I say something real yes. quick? Yes.
2: Okay. So I'm one of those people that I don't sleep, but I was really tired. And I said, well, I better watch it, right? So it was 1230 when I, when I turned it on. And Tyler goes, my son comes in the room and he said, uh, what are you doing? I said, oh, I'm going to watch this movie because I have to do a, a podcast with Uncle Rob. And he said, right now? And I said, that's okay. I'm just going to turn it off. You know, I'm just going to watch it for a half an hour and I'll turn it off. No. No, I watched that in yeah. addition to the documentary. So wow. it was like almost four o'clock in the
3: morning, and and then the next morning I go, oh my god, you gotta watch this! It's so good. And wouldn't have, wouldn't it have felt disrespectful in some ways to have turned it off yes, way it through? It would have been totally. I disrespectful. feel like it would have been slapped to, to to Mildred and Richard Loving. Yeah, that's how. And I would I go. have had to explain it to their children and grandchildren. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm that's so right, sorry. So that... I'm so sorry. I turned off your family's movie in the middle.
2: That's. that's <laughs> I just I can't do that. I've no. got to watch it to the end. Yeah, you can't. And then of course I said, oh look, there's a documentary. Oh, maybe I'll just click on this too. And it was just, um, I just couldn't stop. And I did it, I did it again last night.
4: Wow. Twice. Yeah. Yeah.
2: That's how much I enjoyed the movie and the documentary.
0: Wow. Yeah. Yeah. When I'm putting these episodes together, I'll usually write a little bit, then go back and watch it. And there's things that jump out to me Mm -hmm. more from the research I've done that are really, really subtle. So we'll we'll talk about some of those. But what we're going to talk about today when we fact check this film is we're going to take a look first at who were Richard and Mildred Loving and their lives. Uh, We're also going to go deep into what exactly was the law that kept them from living as a married couple. Because to just say that they couldn't live together in Virginia is just scratching the surface of this law. We're also going to talk about one that may seem a little odd in this conversation, and that is... Was Mildred Black? Mm. Uh, We're also going to look at, did Mildred really send that letter to Robert Kennedy? And how was their case depicted in the film? Was it accurate? Okay, let's go ahead and start out with who were Richard and Mildred loving. What was in the movie? The movie presents Richard and Mildred as two people who are in love with each other and simply want the right to be married without being arrested. You know, small things. Uh, they are very quiet and reserved people who are placed in extraordinary circumstances in Carolyn County, Virginia. So, what really happened? In Carolyn County, specifically in Central Point, the races mixed without a problem.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Richard and Mildred met as adolescents while Mildred was attending an all black school. She was 11 and he was 17. Richard would come to the Jeter house to hear her seven brothers. Play what Mildred called hillbilly music. Keep in mind that at this time, Richard and his friends attended different schools and churches due to segregation. Richard and Mildred started dating when she entered high school. Richard's closest friends with whom he drag raced were black, and he hung out with Mildred's brothers and extended family. Richard and his two friends owned a car together, as we see in the movie. And among them, they acquired 99 trophies, 33 apiece. Wow. Yeah.
2: Amazing,
4: isn't it? Yeah.
0: Richard said of Carolyn County, quote, there's just a few people that live in this community, a few white and a few colored. And as I grew up and as they grew up, we all helped one another. It was all in all, I say, mixed together to start with and just kept going that way. It would seem at the outset this would be a rather straightforward story to fact check. However, the story of the Lovings has been told and retold with varying degrees of accuracy. Sometimes the inaccuracy comes from the author not doing their due diligence to get to the real truth, and they repeat an inaccuracy that was published before. Other times, the history has been shared in a consistently vague manner, which has led it to be spun through different perspectives. And as I have conducted the research for this discussion, I've made every effort to get to some solid areas. So the first fuzzy area that is shown at the beginning of the movie is when Mildred tells Richard that she is pregnant. Mm -hmm. What was your impression when you saw that scene?
3: That it seemed like a natural next step for them. That it was, Mm
0: -hmm.
3: that was the next step in their lives. He seemed pretty content with the idea.
0: So it sounds like you felt it was his child?
3: I don't know if it was his child.
0: Mm. Okay. And from Richard's response to the news, as you mentioned, Don, it would appear that it is his child in a way. Mm -hmm. And in my research, I frequently found the phrase repeated, Richard and Mildred decided to get married when Mildred became pregnant. Mm -hmm. Couple this with the fact that you frequently see it reported that the Lovings had three children. Right. Okay, and it's easy to think that the child Mildred is pregnant with at the beginning of the movie is the couple's first child. They raised that child together, but it was not their first. That child was Sydney, and Sydney came from a previous relationship Mm -hmm. that Mildred was in, and Sydney was born a year and a half before the Lovings were married in Washington, D.C. The information about this relationship is never mentioned in stories about the Lovings. But if It doesn't seem consequential. No, but if we're looking at a timeline for the lovings and you take a look at it, if Mildred and Richard started dating when she was in high school and she became pregnant when she was 18, then what happened in the meantime?
3: Sometimes people break up or get back together. Sometimes people aren't dating exclusively. In the end, it's no one's business and maybe that's why it's been left out.
0: Could be. And there's really no information about this no. period of Mildred's life that's out there at all, other than Sidney was their first child. And that's how you see it frequently reported.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: The father of Sydney is never mentioned in accounts of the loving story. And Richard raised and loved Sydney as his own. Mm-hmm. Sidney retained the surname of Jeter, Mildred's maiden name, and listed Richard as his stepfather in social security documents. So
1: if I can interject, wouldn't a birth certificate have had
0: to name the father? Not necessarily, and I can say this from personal experience because okay. we don't know who my mother's father was. And if they are adopted, many times counties will scrub the original father's okay. name. So it's Well you can you can strike a, that
1: comment, but I would think in Virginia at that point they would they would have pursued Especially since the the child was not born uh, in marriage, that they would have pursued that.
3: You can also list unknown. Well, that's as
1: true. Yeah,
0: that's right. true.
3: I've seen Which that. Is sometimes safer. Yeah. Yeah. I actually seen that. Yeah.
0: The first child, that is Richard and Mildred's, who was born four months after their marriage, and that is Donald on October eighth, nineteen fifty eight, and their daughter Peggy, who you see in the film, was born in nineteen sixty. So what exactly was the law that kept Richard and Mildred from being married in Virginia? What was in the movie is that it shows that Richard and Mildred went to Washington, D.C. to get married and returned to Virginia as a married couple. They were arrested when officers came into their bedroom in the middle of the night. They were tried and sentenced to one year in prison, which the judge suspended if they stayed away from Virginia for 25 years. So what really happened? When Richard and Mildred left to get married in Washington, D.C., he was 26 and she was 20. D.C. did not require blood tests. Mildred later says that she believes that Richard knew that they could be arrested if they returned to Virginia, but she thought the law concerned getting married in Virginia, not being married in Virginia. In an interview, Richard said that he knew other biracial married couples in Mm -hmm. Carolyn County who had not been arrested. He believed that he and Mildred were arrested because, quote, someone talked. Who snitched?
2: Oh, my God. I kept wondering that.
0: It's never come out. And in Carolyn County, as it was mentioned in the movie and as we've mentioned here, everyone mixed. It wasn't a problem. It wasn't a problem for Richard and Mildred to date. It wasn't a problem for them to be in public, and he's racing cars, and he has his arm around her. That was not a problem in Carolyn County. It
3: was obviously a problem for someone in Carolyn County. No,
0: what was a problem was them being married in Carolyn County. As long as they were dating, everyone was fine.
3: Right, so obviously someone had a problem with it once they got married. Yeah. But What 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 was it about... Richard and Mildred Loving that made someone want. And do you think Don was someone in their circle? That's what I wonder. Or maybe someone whose ass he kicked in one of his drag races. Was drag races or something?
0: Uh, You know what? Regardless of who it was, it's a good thing they picked Richard and Mildred Loving. Mm, Yeah. It resulted in a Supreme Court decision, which improved the lives of a lot of people. On july fourteenth, nineteen fifty eight, just five weeks after the Lovings had married, Sheriff Garnett Brooks and three deputies, by the way, that would be every deputy in (laughs) Carolington. I'm quite sure. Yeah. Came into the Jeter home. The Lovings were living with Mildred's family at the time. Now, it's odd that Sheriff Brooks brought every deputy in the county, because when Sheriff Brooks would arrest moonshiners, he would go by himself, or sometimes he would just bring his German Shepherd.
3: I think maybe the sheriff had an axe to grind because they also came in the middle of the night. Now that's that, that's maximum humiliation that and scare. Me too. Yeah, not yeah. just maximum
0: humiliation. Why do you? He could have arrested them any point during the yes. day. Why do you think he and the deputies went in in the middle of the night?
3: Because they were in the, That's the what bed. I just said. Yeah, because they were in they bed. Were in the they bed. were vulnerable. Maximum scare. Yeah, yeah, because they were in to the be bed. extra shitty. That's why. Oh, oh, and
1: also it was a no-knock warrant. I mean, they they didn't knock, and I mean they never mm. the, the 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 Lovings never asked to see where is your where is mm. your warrant for entering my my house,
4: hmm.
1: right? I mean, hmm. you're supposed to. I mean, that's you're
0: supposed to have present a warrant to enter somebody's house. And Don, I will take your extra shitty, and I will raise you an extra extra shitty, <laughs> be, so. because they were trying to catch them having sex. Oh, I bet. I was
2: about to
3: say that that yeah. was the marital bed,
0: which yeah. would and have been would... an additional crime on top of being married in Virginia.
3: Yeah. yeah. So the idea that oh, the sheriff would have just had to do this no matter what. Mm-mm. 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 There's some layers Mm-mm. there. Oh yeah. It was purposeful.
2: Yeah. Very purposeful.
0: When the cops found the Lovings bleary-eyed with flashlights in their eyes in their bed, um, the sheriff asked Richard, who is this woman you're with? Mildred answered, I'm his wife, and pointed at their marriage certificate hanging on the wall, which is exactly what we see in the movie. Mm -hmm. The same marriage certificate that was used as evidence against them for committing a crime of cohabitating together. Just the thought that your marriage certificate could be used as evidence against you.
2: I'm sure back then.
4: Mm
0: -hmm. Oh, there's layers Mm -hmm. of disgusting we're going to get into in this part, which are just appalling. Mm -hmm. And the sheriff replied, as in the movie, not here, you're not. Now, I'm going to read to you the actual indictment that was brought against Richard Perry Loving, for being a white person and the said Mildred Dolores Jeter being a colored person did unlawfully and feloniously go out of the state of Virginia for the purpose of being married and with the intention of returning to the state of Virginia and were married out of the state of Virginia to wit in the District of Columbia on June 2nd 1958 and afterwards returned to the and resided in the county of Carolyn, state of Virginia, cohabitating as man and wife against the peace and dignity of the Commonwealth.
3: Wow.
0: It's, it's frankly
1: hard to take that statement right now without <laughs> just <laughs> laughing. It's going, what idiocy uh, is that language?
2: Yeah. It makes you speechless. Yeah, it really does. But that even existed. Yeah. But it did.
0: It did. Now, the law that Richard and Mildred were charged with violating was the Racial Purity Act of 1924. It was an... (laughs) I'm sorry. No, don't be. It was an anti-miscegenation law Mm -hmm. that was designed to keep the races from mixing and to maintain white supremacy. In particular, it prevented whites from being with non-whites in order to prevent, quote, the quagmire of mongrelization.
4: Oh my god.
0: The basis of the law was what was called the one drop rule. Mm-hmm. If a person who identified as white contained one drop of blood from another race, they would be considered non white. You know, and even with DNA
1: tests right now <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> that's a threshold that we can't even begin to no. approach. So uh, you just you just uh have to look at that and well i mean that has roots in our own constitution where uh where we established representation based on on five percent rule of blood so it's mm-hmm. it's a it's an old legal but how you actually could get under a microscope and 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 and, and say oh those that's the five or the one percent blood ah! i mean it's just
0: can absurd can
2: believe that
0: in the film, Loving, the depiction of the masochistic tendencies of law enforcement toward people of another race would seem to be cliched from what has been presented in other films. But cliches exist for a reason. When we see in the film that a guard says to an inmate while Mildred is incarcerated, maybe I should put you in there with her. This is not an invention of the writer. According to Mildred, mm-hmm. this really happened. Mm. In the same vein, The delay in Mildred's release on Bond really took place, but the film left out the details. The bonding company who had posted Bond for Richard was told by the authorities that if they posted Bond for Mildred, they would put Richard back in jail. Mildred was released a few days later without a Bond, but in her father's care. (laughs) Wow. Which we see in the film, they just don't give the explanation as to why it worked out that way. And I think it's important to understand the timeline of the two arrests of Richard and Mildred Loving, because this is where the film takes its largest liberties. The first arrest, the one where the sheriff burst into their bedroom, took place on July 11th, 1958. On the advice of their lawyer, Frank Beasley, they entered pleas of not guilty. The movie makes it look like it was a pretty quick secession from arrest to incarceration to Judge Bazile's judgment. But this went to a grand jury. The grand jury hearing later that year, the forewoman brought formal charges against them. The Lovings waived a jury trial because they did not feel the jury would be sympathetic towards them. They were given a suspended sentence by Judge Basil and a 25-year moratorium on entering the state as a married couple on January 6, 1959. So six months later. So it was six months between their arrest and and being in the courtroom with Brazil. By the way, when you see the Lovings and Brazil in the courtroom, mm-hmm. that was the courtroom in which the Lovings were sentenced. Oh,
2: wow.
0: So they use the same location. They used the same location. The jail was also the same location. The same, wow. Yeah, and this film was largely also filmed in Carolyn County in Virginia mm-hmm. as well, which is unusual for a film Mm -hmm. to film where the locations actually were the film shows that the second arrest took place when the couple came back to virginia for the birth of sydney who was delivered by richard's mother who was a midwife the film shows loving's lawyer frank beasley lying to the judge and stating that he misinformed them about being able to return to the state for the birth of their child in reality, the Lovings returned in March of 1959. So that would be two months after they were sentenced by Beazil. And this was during the Easter holiday. Oh, was
2: it was it an Easter or something yeah. like that? Yeah, so they yeah. came
0: back to visit for Easter. It wasn't for the birth of a child. Mm-hmm. In reality, they had been told by Beasley, their attorney, that they could visit if they did not sleep in the same house. Beasley went in front of Basil and admitted his real error to the judge. And this is what kept the Lovings from going to jail for a second time. Mm. So the movie presents it as Beasley's covering for them. In reality, Beasley really made that error. But, I mean, he didn't have to
1: go before the judge and said, I made an error. So uh, I don't know if it really changes his his role as somebody who had Mm. some sympathy for them yeah
0: because he could have said i never told them that right so racial purity law of 1924 love it. yeah just <laughs> amazing isn't it but but it's also you have to take a look at at the the the
1: thinking about race in that era i mean during that period of time you had madison grant talking about the the decline of the great races and they were they were saying that Italians and Russians and, and Yugoslavs and Greeks were not white, mm-hmm. and so you had a you had a hierarchy of race, and so this was uh, this is all part of uh, an anti-immigrant, but also putting in what was the latest scientific thinking mm-hmm. about about race. Yeah. And so when you think about Italians, I mean, think about Doug Mastriano in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm going on and on about you know we will not be replaced and yet his uh, italian ancestry was being railed against back in the 19 beginning of the 1900s when, when we think about race during this period of time it's construed as we understand white right now mm-hmm. but it was actually a much more calibrated notion of what was really white you had variations that were sort of like white but not really white okay. so when you talk about this this law in 19 19- 25 it was part of that
0: racialized thinking yeah and speaking of race we're going to take a look at was mildred black so what was in the movie i I had to go back and double check this in the movie because this is a movie that is purely built on the race of the two principal characters Mm -hmm. that's the whole crux of it but in the movie loving no one mentions mildred's race Did anyone mention Richards? Yes. Who? Uh, It's a conversation in the bar when he's Mm. talking with his friends. Mm. And the one, we'll, we'll get into that later. But the only time when Mildred's race is mentioned is in her letter to the American Civil Liberties Union. And in real life, we need to look at how Mildred was referred to and how she referred to herself. So in the film, a photographer comes to the house to shoot pictures. This photographer is played by Michael Shannon. Mm -hmm. He plays Gray Valet, who is shooting pictures for a Life magazine article. And this article came out in March 18th, 1966. And we will have a link to that article available on our website, com slash loving. Now, the first line of the article says, she is Negro, he is white and they are married. Mildred's grandson, Donald, uh, that is the son of Mildred's daughter, Peggy. He's now the holder of the family history. Mm. He says his grandmother was not black. She was Indian.
2: Yeah. Native Uh, American, right? Cherokee or something like that?
0: Let's go ahead and break this down. The Racial Purity Act of 1924 was written with an exception. It's amazing how complicated oh, racists I've make read this.
2: I've that. It cracks me up, really.
0: Oh, oh it's, it's hysterical. You'll find out how hysterical w- this is. White families who had descended from Native Americans lobbied the state. And what was called the Pocahontas exception oh, was, Can you in-
2: that? Yeah.
0: was included as an exemption to the racial purity law. Now, that means if a person could show they descended from Pocahontas they would be allowed to marry white people and live in Virginia as a couple. But Virginia limited the use of this exemption to reservation Indians on the Pumake and mataponi reservations in King William County. Plus, you have to think back, it was not until
1: 1954 that American Indians were given full citizenship. Mm-hmm. So even with the Pocahontas law uh, that was passed when... Uh, this was part of the act in nineteen twenty four. So you still it didn't really, it exception. It really didn't provide you a lot of relief because you were still were not technically allowed to be an American citizen until nineteen fifty four. So you have twenty eight years, twenty nine years yeah. where you're still not seen as a citizen.
2: But didn't they make that exception because the descendants of the Pocahontas was very proud of their heritage, mm-hmm. but they were also an old Virginia family with money.
3: Oh yeah.
2: And yeah. That's it's why amazing made... how
3: loud money speaks. Yeah,
2: it's not that funny? It always does. Yeah, so yeah. loud. So they were an old Virginia family with money. So all of a sudden, it's okay.
0: Yeah. Oh, there's more. But wait, there's more. <laughs> <laughs> all other citizens of Virginia who claimed Indian heritage and not African heritage were able to marry in Washington, D.C. and return to live as a couple.
4: Hmm.
0: When we see the Lovings marriage oh certificate hanging on the wall in the film, we only see the top half of the certificate. The bottom half listed Mildred's race as Indian. Both of her parents were from the Rappahannock tribe, and she primarily referred to herself as an Indian. In her letter to the ACLU, she described herself as part Negro, part Indian. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm but she had
1: 1% so <laughs> it, by by the by the arithmetic of that law it didn't really matter mm-hmm. uh, if she identified mostly as as indian then as you long become as a she as person. long as she had yeah. some uh, black in her uh, she was considered black by the law
0: but i think mm. this is where it gets interesting because if the loving's marriage certificate listed her as indian and richard as white there should not have been a problem That's under the law. Absolutely mm-hmm. right. However, the arrest warrant that was issued for Mildred described her as a Negro, hmm. and that made their marriage illegal in the state of Virginia. <laughs> okay. And once she was charged as a Negro, there was no correcting that technicality.
3: And isn't that interesting that would even be how it's looked at? She's it's, been charged, yeah, as a Negro, right. That in and of itself yeah, feels it's, so criminal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh my. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Now, the, the next part we're going to get into it's might so bad. be a little controversial, but we're going to do it anyway. Did Mildred really write to Robert Kennedy? It's commonly accepted that Mildred, as the movie shows, wrote to Robert Kennedy for assistance to return to Virginia. And she was encouraged by Kennedy to write to the ACLU for assistance. So what really happened? We're not sure. Here's what we know. We know that Mildred said she wrote to Robert Kennedy Mm -hmm. and received a response which prompted her to write to the ACLU. However, no one has ever seen the letter that Mildred sent and no one has ever seen the letter that Robert Kennedy sent to her. When you do a search online for the letter Mildred Loving wrote to Robert Kennedy, you get a lot of images of the letter she wrote to the ACLU.
2: Oh, that's the letter that he read.
0: Additional documents you can find online relating to Loving v. Virginia include the Loving's marriage certificate, arrest warrants, The telegram sent to Bernard Cohen, one of the Loving's lawyers for the Supreme Court case, letting him know that the decision has come down, as well as various court documents from Brazil through to the Supreme Court. What we do not find an image of anywhere is the correspondence that started the whole thing. Now, at first I thought maybe the family has the correspondence and just never shared it, which is their prerogative. But as I was researching this episode, former President Donald Trump gave all of us a great lesson on how documents from a presidential administration should be handled. She wrote to Robert Kennedy in his capacity as the Attorney Mm -hmm. General of the United States under John F. Kennedy's administration, which means that correspondence should be archived. Mm -hmm. The National Archives allows you to search online. Nothing came up using different search terms regarded the Lovings. She signed the letter Mr. and Mrs. Richard Loving. Mm-hmm. I searched under her name. I searched under his name. There's nothing that comes up. I went to the JFK Library website, which has their archives available online. They even have a section for the Attorney General. No search terms that I used could bring up an image of the letter Mildred sent or the letter Robert Kennedy sent to her.
3: Would it have been appropriate for the AG to forward her to the ACLU? To be giving advice like that?
0: That's a good question.
3: Because then would they keep a record of that?
0: I don't know. But what you always see reported outside of the movie and in the movie is that she sent a letter to Robert Kennedy. She even says that in the documentary. Yeah. She does, and that Robert Kennedy referred her to the ACLU. But how would she even know about
1: the ACLU, right? Um, I mean,
0: well, that's where Robert Kennedy comes in. He referred. Well, I know,
1: them. but 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 following your your reasoning is that she wrote directly to the ACLU, which would be make her even more sophisticated than than we think she is, meaning that she was more worldly, that would know that the ACLU would be. A legal organization that does pro bono work at a constitutional level that would be interested in this. Yeah, how would she? I I, I agree
2: with you. how Mm -hmm. How would she know to write the ACLU unless someone
4: had guided her? I mean,
1: in the movie, it's sort of like I'm this lawyer. By the way, I got referred to Mm -hmm. you by Robert Kennedy, and it comes as a shock. There, I mean, so, um, I mean, having done archival research, I know. Uh, I appreciate your, your your digging, and that that is a
0: an interesting question. I have a theory. My theory is a letter was never written to Bobby Kennedy. I think Mildred was more sophisticated than we give her credit for. Could be. I think she spent most of her life referring to herself as Indian. But when it came to this, I think she goosed it a little bit in the letter to the ACLU because the... Uh, Kennedy administration was very, very popular at the time. Uh, civil rights were taking place. They were involved in that. And I think she may have mentioned writing to Kennedy as a way to kind of raise the profile of her case. Because remember, at this time, she was in D.C. and hating it. Right. She and, did not like being there at all. No,
1: but that it still goes back to my point. And I think I'm in agreement with you. Is that she's much more sophisticated? Mm-hmm. That it wasn't that that she saw the march on Washington, and the uh, and the Martin Luther King speech in front of the Lincoln Memorial, and said, "Wow, people are actually doing this," and mm-hmm. and I need to contact Robert Kennedy. So, it's enigma. I I would tend to agree.
2: But don't you don't you remember the part of the documentary where she said that? Um, She just kept complaining and complaining Mm -hmm. and complaining about living in D.C. and how much she hated it. So her cousin said, well, then why don't you write to Bobby Kennedy? So it seems to me that maybe her cousin could have been the one that maybe had been the impetus for her to go directly to the ACLU.
3: It could be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Uh because I would imagine... I mean, I would imagine they're pretty active in D.C., David. Exactly. Even back then, that people would know what What they're working
2: on. Yeah. Yeah. So if there isn't a letter, it could have been prompted by her cousin that said, just go to the ACLU. You know, this is what they're here for. Yeah, don't muck about. Right. Exactly. Don't muck about. (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
0: But she says that she contacted Kennedy. So I, I think I she... have no reason
3: to doubt
2: her. I know. I don't have any reason to doubt I mean, you don't think that he gets thousands of letters and he looks at it and he just contacts the ACLU and says, you handle this?
0: But he didn't write to the ACLU. She did. That's the letter you find online. That's the letter that's referenced in the movie is her letter to the ACLU saying I was referred to by the attorney general. I think what also plays into this in my theory is if she marks herself as Indian on her marriage certificate and she always identified as Indian and her family always identified as Indian. Cohen, one of her attorneys, says she only identified as Negro to me. She only identified as black.
3: That's what the arrest warrant said, right? Yes. So at that point, that you're... that's what she's working under or with. No, you're
2: absolutely because... right, because that's what the attorneys kept saying. Yeah. They kept going back to the arrest mm-hmm. and what they uh, pled guilty to, that she was a, a, a black woman. Yeah. But and... if we go
0: with the thought that Mildred was more sophisticated than we give her credit for, isn't being black instead of Indian the thing that makes the case? Because under the racial purity law of 1924, if she were viewed as Indian, she and Richard don't have a problem. I,
3: I don't think she would have deliberately just pursued that case mm-hmm. for the sake of it. No, that's no. I think
1: I think once it got I, I, I think once she got labeled in, in a racial category, mm-hmm. it was impossible in that era. Uh, plus, you have a judge that's looking at her, and she presents at least partially black. I mean, she I mean the the way, the the photographs. Uh, so I mean, they're going to look at her and they're going to say, "Well, you you might have some white in you, but you're presenting to me with my eyes as blacks." Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think it has it has less to do with with what the certificate has has to say is how yeah. you present.
2: That that could be, but I really, in my opinion, I think it all has to do with the fact that she pled guilty. That's what the two lawyers kept, you know. That was how, how it was going to be difficult to try to right. get this to the Supreme Court and how they were going to do Yeah, because
3: essentially then you you have acknowledged that what they have asserted is true.
2: Right, exactly. As black. As, as black. So that's why she had to do that.
0: Yeah. Correct. And all because they got married. Just insane. Which all got resolved in the court case. So let's take a look at that. And what's in the movie is the movie shows that the lawyers from the ACLU got involved to help Mildred and Richard. Uh, Mildred and Richard returned to live in Virginia while the case wound its way through the courts. So what really happened? Well, what happened and what we see in the film is largely accurate. Five years had passed since Richard and Mildred had last been arrested. And the reason they had taken no action is they just didn't understand their rights to appeal the verdict. As we see in the film, the ACLU filed a motion to vacate Judge Bazille's guilty finding. Bazille dragged his feet until a federal panel forced him to provide a ruling in 90 days. And apparently he didn't take kindly to the federal court forcing him to reply because he doubled down on his guilty ruling. And also provided the quote, which in the movie we see the ACLU attorneys responding to with glee Which is, Almighty God created the races white, black, yellow, Malay, and red, and he placed them on separate continents. (laughs) The fact that he separated the races shows he did not intend for the races to mix.
3: Race is a social construct.
0: (laughs) I mean, (laughs) he served it up on a platter here. Yeah, sure he did. It was amazing. And when the case reached the Virginia Court of Appeals, which we see the couple outside the Virginia Court of Appeals, but the movie doesn't cover what happened. The ACLU argued that the anti-miscegenation laws violate the Due Process Clause and equal protection of the 14th Amendment. The state of Virginia argued that the 14th Amendment exempts anti-miscegenation laws And there is no constitutionally protected right of free choice of a spouse in marriage.
1: So one of the great political philosophers (laughs) of the 20th century, Hannah Arendt, talked about this. I quote her. She said, even political rights like the right to vote and nearly all other rights enumerated in the Constitution are secondary to the inalienable rights To life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, proclaimed in the Declaration of Independence. Mm -hmm. And to this category, the right to home in marriage unquestionably belongs. So, for her, as a legal and political theorist, she would say the right to marry who you want to marry is perhaps one of the most fundamental, if not the most fundamental, right that we have. So she would say to Virginia, I don't think so.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I, I suppose you could add Justice Thomas to that list because he seems to forget how Virginia argued the case that allows his marriage to exist. Because the question in front of the Virginia Court of Appeals was if an individual's constitutional rights override the state's right to control marriages under the state's police powers. And while the film does show the Lovings and the ACLU lawyers outside the Virginia Court of Appeals after it upheld the guilty finding, it does not share what the court said. Justice Harry Carrico upheld the guilty finding from Brazil, but suggested that the Lovings could return to Virginia and live separately while, quote, (laughs) <laughs> contemplating the error of their way in going against God, nature, and the traditions of the Commonwealth. So I would
1: also have to, to say, with the South, the traditions of the Commonwealth, how many black women were raped by white men that produced uh, mixed raised offsprings. So all this is uh, is a, a bit of a smoke and mirror argument when you take a look at miscegenation and how it had been forced upon black women over how many centuries. So this is, this, is Thomas a non- Jefferson. this is a nonsensical argument in my mind.
0: It should be noted that Richard and Mildred were not involved in the civil rights movement before or after the case.
3: I think they did. More than their fair share. I agree. Yeah.
0: Richard said in a Life magazine article We have thought about other people, but we are not doing it because somebody had to do it and we wanted to be the ones. We are doing it for us mm. because we want to live here. If the language used by the Virginia Court of Appeals seems harsh, I would guess that the Warren Supreme Court also found it to be out of line based on their ruling. As we discussed earlier, the U.S. Supreme Court delivered a unanimous decision which said the distinctions drawn regarding race were, quote, odious to a free people and were subject to, quote, the most rigid scrutiny. They found that Virginia's Racial Purity Act had no legitimate purpose, quote, independent of invidious racial discrimination. That's a judicial smackdown there. Yeah. Yep the court rejected Virginia's argument that the statute was legitimate because it was applied equally to blacks and whites. Mm -hmm. That's my favorite part. It's okay for us to (laughs) discriminate. Separate but equal. Because we discriminate (laughs) against blacks and whites. Separate but equal. Yep. The court also found that the law violated the Due Process Clause of the U.S. Constitution. Mm-hmm. Chief Justice Earl Warren wrote, quote, under our Constitution, the freedom to marry or not marry a person of another race resides with the individual and cannot be infringed by the state. So that's Hannah Arendt's argument. And I think that answers your question about if it paved the way for LGBT.
2: Yes, it did. It did. Mm -hmm. I
0: think that quote absolutely does. Well, Mm -hmm. and
1: it it paved the way for me being able to marry my wife. My wife, I'm sorry. But as a white male, could always marry an Asian woman. But Mm -hmm. if I were a a white woman and she was an Asian man, that would not have been possible.
0: What happened after the case? What was in the movie? The movie concludes with Richard starting to build their house. A couple of epigraphs tell us that Richard died from a car accident when a drunk driver hit the car he was driving. It also tells us Mildred died from pneumonia in Mm -hmm. 2008. Now, I want to mention, I mentioned gender roles earlier. One thing I wanted to mention is if you notice at the end when he's starting to build the house, mm-hmm. and he's laying the bricks. His two boys are playing in the background and his daughter walks up. He hands his daughter the brush and says, do you want to help me? Mm-hmm. And I think that just falls in line with what the movie does with gender roles with him and Mildred mm-hmm. all throughout. And yeah. Uh, so what really happened? The Supreme Court ruling struck down existing miscegenation laws in 18 states. After the ruling... So, it- Rob, on your biopics, I'm sorry to interject, can you put the 18 states that that, were, that had those laws in the book? I could do that, yes. That would be, I think, worthwhile. Yeah. Yeah. After the ruling, a press conference was held. Mildred looked like she had a weight lifted off of her shoulders. She said, I feel free now. Richard didn't say much of anything and looked like he was enduring one more ordeal, looking uncomfortable (laughs) in a white button-up shirt. (laughs) A cross was burned on Mildred's mother's lawn. Mildred thinks it was meant for her. A cross was burned on the Lovings' lawn shortly after they returned to Carolyn County Mm. following the trial. Their grandson, Donald, said the Lovings endured constant harassment following the verdict. Richard built the house he promised to Mildred. It is on Passing Road in Milford, Virginia. At last report, no one lives there, and it is off the market. On June nineteen 1975, about a month after their 14th wedding anniversary, and eight years after they won the right to live as husband and wife in the state of Virginia, Richard and Mildred were driving home with Mildred's sister, Garnett. Mm. They were returning from visiting friends. And we just 13 miles away from their home when their car was broadsided by a drunk driver mm. who ran a stop sign. Richard died instantly. Mildred lost her right eye. In some accounts, it's she lost vision in her right eye. Mm. Garnett suffered minor injuries. Richard was buried in a mostly black cemetery just down the road from their house. Mm. He was 41 years old. Wow. Mildred joined him in 2008 at the age of 68. Wow. Mildred did not seek the limelight nor join the civil rights movement, regardless of the impact she and Richard had on our country. She received a service award from her church. Her pastor compared her to Rosa Parks, Hmm. which she disagreed with. She kept reiterating they did not intend for what happened to happen. They just wanted to be married. On the 40th anniversary of Loving v. Virginia ruling, Mildred lent her support to marriage equality. She said, quote, the older generation's fears and prejudices have given way, and today's young people realize that if someone loves someone, they have a right to marry. Yep. She -hmm. said in the same article, I am still not a political person. But I am proud that Richard's and my name is on a court case that can help reinforce the love, the commitment, the fairness, and the family that so many people, black or white, young or old, gay or straight, seek in life. I support the freedom to marry for all. That's what loving and loving are all mm. about. She said that.
1: Yeah. My god, so what are what how beautifully stated. I mean, you could not have said that a Hollywood scriptwriter could not
0: have written that better. No. It was a rare public statement from her. Mm. Today, support for interracial marriage is at an all-time high. When Gallup first polled about support for interracial marriage in 1958, support was at 4% of white people. By 1972, It was at 60%. By 1991, white people supported it by 80%. As of today, support for interracial marriage is at 94%. Yeah. Which means that support across the races is equal. 93% for whites, 96% for people of color, which is within the margin of error. A majority of non-white adults have approved of interracial marriage since 1968. The poll did not see a majority of white support until 1997. Today, Loving Day is celebrated around the world on June 12th, Hmm. the day the Supreme Court rendered its decision. People celebrate the day by holding community events, posting their stories online, or encouraging their governments to declare June 12th to officially be Loving Day. Hmm. Governments all over the world have declared this day officially, including the County of Carolyn and the state of Virginia.
4: Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Stick
2: it to
0: them. And with that, it's time to grade the movie Loving and find out if it is a biopic that mostly sucks on a letter grade of A through F, whole letters only, no pluses or minuses. Oh, man. (laughs) What do you give loving for accuracy, Don? Oh pluses or minuses?
3: Nope. Yeah, none an A.
0: A from Don, Lolita?
3: No minuses, right?
0: Nope. A. A, David? An A. An A from David. I'll go Uh an A with the rest of you. Hey, this is only the second movie. Uh I A grade. You were on the first one. That's right. Coal miner's daughter. All right. Yeah. There we go. So you gave us no minus.
3: No minus. I know there should be there should be minuses and pluses pluses. because there was there was little minor stuff going on there, but it's really not worth downgrading it all the way to a B. Yeah. I agree with
1: you. Or B plus.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I don't have graphics with pluses and minuses.
1: (laughs)
4: <laughs> you can edit that out
0: <laughs> are you kidding I'm gonna keep that in yeah. alright well thank you very much for joining me thank you Lolita oh thank
2: you thank you Enjoyed Don it. you're welcome
0: thank you David yindi yindi <laughs> take care everyone bye. bye bye now is the time when we fact check ourselves I take every effort to come to our discussions prepared but sometimes just sometimes a guest asks a question I wasn't ready for or I misspeak during the discussion or we just plain make stuff up. For instance, I said that 18 states had their anti-miscegenation laws struck down with the Supreme Court ruling of Loving v. Virginia in 1967. It was actually 16 states. Those states were Alabama, Arkansas, Delaware, Florida, Georgia, Kentucky, Louisiana, Mississippi, Missouri, North Carolina, Oklahoma, South Carolina, Texas, Tennessee, Virginia, and West Virginia. Now, just because Loving v. Virginia did away with anti-miscegenation laws in those states doesn't mean it was clear sailing for interracial couples to get married. In 1970, three years after the Loving v. Virginia ruling, an interracial couple tried to get a marriage license at the office of probate judge G. Clyde Bertain in Alabama. They were told they would not be able to receive a marriage license because it was against state law. In the case of United States v. Bertain, Alabama tried to argue that there were a number of reasons why a couple may be denied a license that have nothing to do with anti-miscegenation laws, such as lack of proper identification. The problem is that this couple was never informed why they were denied. Alabama became the last state to remove anti-miscegenation laws from its state constitution, In 2002, when Amendment 2 was endorsed by only 60% of the voters. Now, it's important to keep in mind that Loving v. Virginia could be overturned with the current Supreme Court. And if you think it can't, just remember there are still all white cemeteries in Georgia. And as recently as 2020, students in Wilcox County, Georgia, had to fight to hold an integrated prom. It was held the week after the standard all-white prom. Now, you should know that before Loving v. Virginia, there were 11 states that repealed anti-miscegenation laws prior to 1887. Those states are Illinois, Iowa, Kansas, Maine, Massachusetts, Michigan, New Mexico, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, and Washington. Now, for Kansas, New Mexico, and Washington... Those laws were repealed before they achieved statehood. The next round of appeals took place between 1948 and 1967, when 14 states repealed their anti-miscegenation laws without being subject to the loving decision. Some of these states extended the repeal of these laws to Native Americans, Filipinos, Asians, East Indians, and Native Hawaiians, as well as African Americans. And those states were Arizona, California, Colorado, Idaho, Indiana, Maryland, Montana, Nebraska, Nevada, North Dakota, Oregon, South Dakota, Utah, and Wyoming. There are nine states that can lay claim to never having had any laws of this kind. And those states are Alaska, Connecticut, Hawaii, minnesota new hampshire new jersey new york vermont and wisconsin now i do want to give a quick note here i kind of forced my cohorts uh, lolita david and dawn to vote an a on loving and they all expressed an interest in having plus or minuses for the letter grades so we have revised it. It is an A-minus for loving. Only the second film to get in the A group, but it's an A-minus for loving. Well, that does it for another episode of Biopics Mostly Suck. I'd like to thank my guests, Dawn, Lolita, and David, for joining me. They were fantastic in talking about the film Loving. Uh, a beautiful Gorgeous film that, yes, it it will make you cry. Sorry, you have to be a robot to not cry at this movie. You can find all of the sources we used to build this episode, as well as a couple extra videos, on our website. Go to biopicsmostlysuck.com slash loving to see all of the information for this particular episode. And while you're at the website, go to the contact page and you can let us know how we're doing on this thing do you like it do you not like it i know there's people listening all over the world i don't know if they're the same people i don't know if they're new people but i do kind of want to uh, have a little interaction with all of you out there and let me know what you think and if you don't do it through the contact page on our website feel free to reach out to us on the social medias on facebook instagram and twitter we are at the handle of at mostly suck and if you want go ahead and recommend a film you'd like for us to talk about and we'll tell the true story behind that movie based on a true story take care everyone
4: baby.